the congregation here is going to be making a very special evangelistic push. We've got May 17th set aside as a day that we're wanting to invite friends, family, co-workers, classmates, neighbors, acquaintances, bank tellers, Walmart checkout clerks, anybody that you pass on the street, anybody that you see while you're garage selling. We just want to invite anybody that we can to be here on May 17th. We're in a time of a lot of fear. A lot of folks are worried about what's going to be coming down the pike financially for our society and for our nation and and even specifically for where we are. And when people have a lot of fear, one of the things that folks do is that's the time they start turning to God. And I think it will be good for us to capitalize on that and let folks know that we know someplace they can turn where they can meet God, where they can help overcome their fears by being set free by Jesus. In that day, on May 17th, we're going to take a look at John chapter 5, verses 1 through 17. The man who was beside the pool of Bethesda, who was lame and hoping to somehow get to the pool before anybody else so that he could be healed. He was basically looking for a lucky break. He was relying on life's lottery. But instead, what he found out is that if he really wanted healing, he needed to lean on the Lord. And that's what we're going to be looking at. If you want to win life's lottery... You've got to lean on the Lord. I think it's going to be a tremendously positive lesson for folks to hear. I think it's going to be something that lets them know where they can find freedom from sin, where they can find salvation, where they can find help, even for this life. And I hope it will be something that will be extremely beneficial for us as well. I'd kind of like us to see what we're doing as as a a new form of, of a gospel meeting. And, you know, the fact is, for decades, we've had special evangelistic pushes where we picked one week that we were going to invite all kinds of people to come hear a special topic. And one of the things that we've said over and over again is, boy, it just doesn't seem like they come out to gospel meetings like they used to. But I tell you what, these one-day attempts I've seen have some real success. I heard about a church down in Ocala, Florida, the Central Church of Christ. And they set up a day that they were going to have and invite friends and family and had a special lesson. And they had 100 guests from the community. That's that's pretty powerful. But, of course, the first place that I heard about it and, and seen some success was from my good buddy Clay down at Lanton in Spring Hill, way off there on Greens Mill Road where nobody in the world even knows it's there. More than half of the congregation is above retirement age. And Clay last year one day said, you know what, in four weeks we're going to have a special push. I want you to invite everybody. We're going to beat our record attendance. They had at that time an average of 45 people attending every every Sunday morning. And their record attendance was 69. He said, you know what? If every single one of us show up that day and every family brings a gift, that will get us to 70 people. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to shoot for 70. Everybody come. Everybody bring a guest. And I called him the day after that happened. Keep in mind, 45 was their average attendance. I called him the day after that happened because I was kind of worried about him, thinking, you know, I just wasn't sure that that the congregation in, in Atlanta was going to pull this off, and I sure didn't want my buddy being discouraged. And so I called him on Monday, and I said, Clay, what, how'd it go? And he said, well, it was a little discouraging. I said, oh, man, I, I can't believe that. And he said, we only had 109. And uh, you know, what was even more impressive, though, is that by Tuesday evening of that week, this... A young couple who had, the the wife, I believe, had attended some. The the husband had not ever attended. His first time was to attend, I believe, that Sunday. The the wife was a daughter of one of the members. Both of them were baptized within that week. 
Two weeks later, one of the folks who had never darkened the doors of that congregation was baptized within two weeks because his neighbor invited him to come to that day. Clay informed me that they had one son of one of the members who was a bit of a prodigal that that day started coming again. He told me that there were a few months in this last year that he dropped out, but a few months ago he started coming back again. So one of the prodigals of the congregation had come back into the congregation and been doing well. They had new members place membership. In fact, that seemed to be almost the beginning. It was like a kickstart of evangelism for their congregation and of growth because that at that time their average attendance was 45. Right now, over the past couple months, their average attendance has been 60. And so we see what a great kickstart that was for them. They're actually having their second guest day or whatever you want to call it today. And remember, their average attendance over the past couple months has been 60. He just texted me that uh, they've got 145 there this morning. And uh, let's see here. Is, has, the, has that been updated back there, Tom, for today? We've got 153. I want you all to think about that. Congregation that normally had 60, they've got 145 there today. All right, our average right now is between 100 and 145. So what do you think we can do if we actually get out and get to work? This is a, a great push and a great effort that we're going to be uh, we're going to be taking over the next three weeks. But I want you to understand this: it's going to take more than a special day and a and a, a, a sermon title, a fun sermon title, and splashy cards. It's going to take work. This is not just going to happen on its own. It's not just going to happen because the elders said, let's set May 17th, and, and, and we just kind of think about it a lot and talk about it a lot. The only way this is going to be effective, the only way this is going to, to bring about anything where we have people to follow up with and study with and, and have success in evangelism is if we work. And it's going to take more than the preacher working. It's going to take more than the elders working. It's going to take more than the deacons working. It's going to take all of us working. And that's what I want us to think about today. If we're actually going to have success with this, it's going to take what any evangelistic effort takes to have success. It's going to take work. And what I want us to talk about today is the concept of evangelizing like the sower. Matt just read to us Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. We know the story of the sower. He went out to sow some seed, and some of it fell on the hard ground, and the birds came down and picked it up, and it was trampled underfoot, and some of it fell on rocky ground, and it sprang up quickly, but it didn't have much root, and so it wasn't getting much moisture. It just withered away. And some of it fell in the weedy and thorny soil, and wasn't able to get the nutrients it needed. And so even though it kind of grew up, it never was able to bear fruit. But there was some that landed on good, fertile, rich soil, and it produced plants, and it produced fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. I want us to think about the sower. I know we've looked at this parable and we've taken a look at the soil and what that means for us. And we've asked questions like, which soil are we? And those are all important things. And I understand that's the main thrust of this parable. But this morning, I want us to stop for a moment and back up and just look at that sower. And I want to share with you some things about that sower and about us as sowers and how we can evangelize like sowers. And, and while I want us to think specifically about this 21-day period we have coming up to May 17th and thinking about things that we can do as we're looking for that particular day, this is not just about evangelism for three weeks. This is a kickstart. This is something that hopefully will get us moving in the right direction and it'll just be something that jumpstarts us on evangelism and inviting and getting folks to be with us. And so I want us to think about this long term, what it means to evangelize like a sower. Before we look at that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we lift you up and praise your name because you're awesome. And we realize that the only reason we can be here is because of the great love that you've had for us and your son who died for us. 
And that's why we're here, and that's the message that we want to get to others. We want others to know about the salvation that we can have through your Son, about the freedom that we can have from sin and from all the things that beset us and the enslavements. And we ask that you would help us to get the message of that good news out to others. Help us to rely upon the seed of your Word and to realize that, that you don't need our props and you don't need all those other things. You just need us to work and have faith in your Word and get it out to others. Help us to let folks know about the great freedom that we can have in your Son and that they'll come in. We pray that your hand would be with us. We pray, Father, that that your mercy and your grace will guide us with whatever we attempt to do to let folks in our community know about your word and about your Son and about the salvation he offers and about the cross. We pray that you would strengthen us and give us courage and give us opportunities to spread your gospel and tell others about you. We pray that you would be with those with whom we talk to about your gospel, that their hearts would be open and receptive. And we pray that you would be with those who would reject what we've said. We ask that you would be with them and provide something in their life that would prick their heart and cause them to come back and want to know more. And Father, we pray that you be with those who come and are our guests, that we'll have opportunity to follow up, that they'll be willing to study your word, that we might be able to spread your gospel and that they'll become your children. Father, please be with this church. Strengthen us. Be with our elders as they lead us and be with their vision. Be with the deacons as they serve us. Strengthen them. Be with each and every one of us as members that we would all add to what's going on within this congregation and that we wouldn't just think about the congregation but think about those who are still outside of your body and help bring them in so that they can be lifted up and saved and we can all be with you forever in heaven. Father, we love you so much and we thank you for letting us be a part of this plan and we ask your forgiveness for where we've fallen short on it and ask that you would help us to turn away from the tempter's traps as he tries to keep us from evangelizing and letting people know about your will. Father, bless us and be with us. We love you, Father, and we thank you for loving us. Through your Son we pray. Amen. As we look at Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 8, we know the very first thing is that the sower went out to sow. And whilst this first thing that I want to share with you is not specifically stated, we just have to ask the question, why did he sow the seed? I'll tell you why. Because he trusted the seed. If we want... To get the message out, we are going to have to trust the seed. We're going to have to realize that it's the seed that really does the work. We're just tossing it out there. It's the seed that goes into the ground and dies and germinates and produces fruit. We're going to have to realize that if we're going to evangelize like the sower, it's the seed that gets the job done. And we don't have to decorate the seed, and we don't have to prop up the seed, and we don't have to add our things sows to the seed. We just need to trust the seed, and we need to get that seed out there. There are a lot of folks today that don't trust the seed. There are a lot of churches today that don't think that the seed can do its job. And so instead of just taking the seed out there and letting folks know about the opportunity to listen to the seed being preached, instead they'll have concerts, or they'll have fun days, or they'll have... Uh, they'll have their fellowship halls, or they'll have their Six Flags trips, or they'll have their Super Bowl Sunday night, and all of these things that we'll do in hopes to get people to come, and we'll get a little seed in there somewhere. But what the sower does is he just trusts the seed. He casts the seed out there, and he expects the seed to do its job. We learn from Luke chapter 8 and verse 11 that our seed is the Word of God, and we need to learn to trust it. God's seed doesn't need our innovations. God's seed doesn't need our decorations. God's seed doesn't need our props and our crutches. We just need to trust the seed. 
I think about John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, Jesus had fed 5,000 with just a little bit of food. And the folks had completely misunderstood what was going on. They came back to Jesus the next day and they wanted Him to be king, not because they saw Him as the Messiah of God who could save them from their sins, but because they saw the bread and circuses they thought Jesus could have control over. If a man could feed 5,000 with so little, then He could feed us for the rest of our lives. They came because they saw the food. Jesus said, no, you missed it. That's not the point. And then he refused to feed them. It amazes me that folks go to John chapter 6 today to act as though God's seed actually needs our prop. You know, what we need to do is get out and feed people food, and then they'll come and listen to God's Word. That's what Jesus did in John chapter 6. Oh, no, that is not what Jesus did. Jesus fed some people because as they had followed him, they had gotten way out and they got hungry. He was providing a benevolence to them, a relief for those who had followed him. But even that they missed, and he wouldn't keep it up. He refused to feed them, to get them to follow along. In fact, most of them left because he refused to do that. He just gave them the seed. And notice what it says in John chapter 6 and verse 44 and 45. And no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. He's quoting here from Isaiah 54 and verse 13. God will draw. But how? They'll be taught of God. Psalm 119. Psalm 119 talks to us a little bit about this. In Psalm 119, I just want us to go ahead and read the whole section of this psalm, but there's a verse that you'll see why we're reading it. We're going to begin at verse 97. Oh, this is Psalm 119, 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. And I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. You see that? Here's a man that's been taught of God. What's it? Excuse me, what's it referring to? Some kind of miracle that took place? No. He had his laws. He had his precepts. He had his commands. For you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. The Word of God is what draws folks to God. And the Word of God doesn't need our props and our crutches. Isaiah 55. In Isaiah 55. God talked about this in Isaiah 55. You know, it's interesting. In verses 8 and 9, he said, My thoughts aren't your thoughts. Your thoughts about your ways aren't my ways. My ways are higher. Now, God doesn't think like us. See, when we think, we think, Oh, we need to prop up this seed. Nobody will come and just listen to this great message about salvation and freedom from enslavement to sin and fear and doubt. Nobody wants to hear that. They just want good times and fun. But God says, my ways aren't your ways. Let's start thinking like God. Notice what he says as he follows that up in verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring, bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word works. And if we're going to evangelize like the sower, we've got to learn to trust the seed. I realize I'm taking a long time on this point, 
I'm not going to be spending this much time on every point, but this is the foundation. Until we trust the seed, we're not going to evangelize like the sower. God's Word will not return to Him void. When we send God's Word out, it'll do what it came to do. It's going to condemn some. It's going to save others. But the thing is, we've got to get to work. We've got to trust the seed. Be ambitious. Sow everywhere. There in Luke chapter 8, the sower didn't try to pick out places. Oh, I think this one will work and drop in a seed. I think this will work and drop in a a seed. He, He looked around and he could see what the ground was. He decided that he didn't know where the seed would grow best. He just threw it out there so that it would land everywhere. And who knows where it might find the good soil. He was ambitious. He just sowed everywhere. Now today, we hear more and more about niche marketing. Niche marketing is the idea, instead of trying to get your message out to everyone, you just try to get it out to the right ones. You try to to figure out who your market really is and get the message out to them. And there are churches that are pursuing that method. Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Church, that's, that's really what that's all about. That's their method. But if we're going to evangelize like the sower, we're going to realize that niche marketing has no place for the gospel. Our job is not to be testers of the soil. Our job is to be sowers of the seed. Our job is to sow that seed out everywhere. And let the seed do its work. And let God do His work. We'll do ours. Let the seed and God do theirs. Let's not try to whittle on God's end of the stick. Let's not try to whittle on the soil or on the seed's end of the stick. Let's just sow that message and, and get it out. And let the folks who hear it, let them determine what kind of soil they are and whether or not they'll listen to God's Word. I can't help but think of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Such were some of you. Here were folks that were adulterers, idolaters, covetors, thieves, drunkards, homosexuals. If we were going to be testers of the soil and we saw folks living in that condition, would we say, that looks like good fertile ground? Or would we back off and go look someplace else? The reason why these folks had been sanctified is because somebody in Corinth decided their job was not to test the soil. Their job was to sow the seed. And they sowed the seed, and in surprising places it found good, honest hearts. And they were sanctified, and they were justified. But what would have happened if the sowers there had not done their job? I'll tell you what this means, especially about May 17th. You may look at somebody, and they may look like they're just a faithful, solid, grounded member in some church that teaches error. Invite them anyway. You may see someone else who is just a solid atheist. Invite them anyway. You may see somebody who's a drunkard, whoremongering sinner in the world. Invite them anyway. You may see somebody who's got pink hair and a nose ring with a chain connected to the earring. Invite them anyway. It doesn't matter who it is. So that scene. Because you never know where the good soil will actually be found. Be ambitious. We look back in Luke chapter 8. And he sows the seed, 
And the very first thing we find in verse 5, he sowed the seed, and some fell along the path, was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. We just need to understand this. When we get out there and sow the seed, the birds are going to get some of it. It's just the way it's going to happen. The birds are going to get some of the seed. We're going to toss it out and it's going to be on the hard earth and it's just going to sit there and the birds are going to come down and take it away and we'll watch it happen. Luke chapter 8 and verse 12, it tells us the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. There are going to be some that we get that word out to them and Satan's going to snatch it right away. There's going to be some that we're going to say, hey, we've got this really special thing going on on May 17th. You really need to come. It's going to help you as we face all this fear. If you want to win line lottery, you've got to lean on the Lord. May 17th from 10 to 11.50, you need to be there. And they'll look at us and they'll say, ah, that is awesome. I'm going to be there. And then turn around and tell somebody else about it. And that guy says, you're not going to go to a church of Christ, are you? You know, they don't have pianos over there. They think they're the only ones going to heaven. And they'll start tossing out all these different things. And that person who was so on fire just a moment ago will just buy into all of that. And Satan just took that word out of their heart. And there we are on May 17th standing at the door waiting for them to come in. And they never come in. And we wonder why on earth. Why didn't, why didn't Bob come? Why didn't Jane come? Why didn't, why didn't Susie or Sam come? Because the birds got that. We ask why. I don't know. That's just the way it is. And instead of spending all our time trying to chase off the birds, instead of getting despairing and, 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 and feeling hopeless and feeling like there's nothing we can do about it, let's just keep sowing the seed. Let's just realize the birds are going to get some. Let's, let's not waste our time trying to kill the birds or chase the birds off. When we're doing that, we've quit sowing. Let's just understand. We're going to sow the seed and the birds are going to get some. But I want you to think about our sower. Think about what's happening here as the birds are getting this. We need to understand this picture. In this picture, this is not the guy sows the seed and comes back a few days later and finds that the birds have taken the seed. I mean, what happens if you're standing out and the birds are in the air and you toss that seed out? They don't wait for hours to come get it. They come get it right then. While he's sowing, the birds are getting it. What does he do? Does he stop and get mad and say, this is hopeless, I might as well quit sowing, most of my seeds getting eaten up by the birds? No, he just kept on sowing. Just keep on sowing. Just keep, the birds are going to get some. We're going to invite some people and they're just not going to show up. Some of them are going to say they'll come and they just won't come. What do we need to do? We just need to keep on sowing. We're going to invite some and some folks will say, I don't want that. I don't need that. I don't care about that. Instead of getting rejected and dejected and feeling hopeless, we just need to keep on sowing. We just need to be prepared. Don't give up hope. Don't wonder if there's a point to this because the birds are eating all this seed. Just realize our job, our job is not to kill birds. Our job, what's our job? Sow seed. That's our job. Let God deal with the birds. Our job is to sow the seed. Well, he kept on sowing. And Luke 8 and verse 6, some fell on the rock, rocky ground, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. In Matthew's version, Matthew 13 and verse 6, it says that it sprang up and when the sun came down, because it had no moisture, it withered away. 
We just need to understand this. The sun is going to get some. The sun is going to scorch some. There are going to be some that we talk to about this. And they'll even show up. And they'll love it. And they, they may even say, I'm going to come back. And they may even listen. They, we may even get to study with them and baptize them. They're going to come and they're going to hear the wonderful message about freedom in Christ. They're going to come and they'll hear the wonderful message about salvation in the Lord. They're going to come and he'll hear the wonderful message about freedom from fear and from doubt. They're going to hear the wonderful message about eternity in heaven. They're going to say, I want some of that. And they accept it with joy. And then they hang around for a while and they find out that being a Christian is not all ease and luxury. There's some difficulty. A lot of people won't like them anymore. And that sun will be rising up. And because they've not ever dug down and really gotten grounded in Jesus, when they find out that it's all it's not all just fun and games and good times being one of God's children, that sun will beat down on them and they'll just drop out. We just need to understand that is going to happen. The sun is going to get sun. That means we're going to invite Bob and Susie and we're going to invite Jimmy and Mary. And it'll look good and promising for a while. And then they'll just fade away. They just need to be ready for it. Why does that happen? I don't know. That's not our job. Our job is not to sit there and figure out what all the rocks are. Our job is not to sit there and figure out all that. Our job is to sow the seed. Our job is to get the message out. What did our sower do? Did our sower say, oh no, some of it's landing on rocky soil? And so he just quit sowing? No, he just kept on sowing. We need to understand. The sun's going to get some. We can't stop the sun from getting some. Our job is not to get out there and extinguish the sun. Our job is to sow the seed. We'll let God take care of the sun. Let's do our job. We'll let God do His job. We need to do our job. Our job is to sow the seed. The sower kept on sowing. And in Luke chapter 8 and verse 7 it says, Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. There were some weeds there. And the problem, of course, is those weeds and those thorns, they're sucking some of the nutrients out of the ground so that when the, when the plant came up, it wasn't getting enough nutrients to actually produce fruit. Well, in Luke chapter 8 and verse 14, it tells us what that means for us. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. Excuse me. Well, here's what this means. This means that we're going to invite Bob and we're going to invite Susie and we're going to invite Jimmy and we're going to invite Mary and they're going to show up and they're going to like what they hear and they're going to study and they're going to learn and they're going to submit to Jesus Christ and they're going to become one of His children and then they're going to start seeing all these fearful things that are happening around us with finances and maybe with their family or who knows what other kind of fears might be playing on their heart. They start worrying about their retirement and so they say, you know what, I've got to get an extra job. And that job keeps them from having time to study God's Word. And that job keeps them from having time to pray. And that job keeps them from being able to make it to the assemblies. And that job keeps them from spending time with other Christians. And so they might even be hanging out and they might show up every once in a while, but they're not getting the feeding that they need. And so they just start to fade away. They're there, but they're not producing any fruits. 
Or maybe they decide that there are some more pleasurable things out there. And so with one hand, they're trying to hold on to Jesus. But with the other hand, they're trying to pursue as much of the sin as they can. They want to get as close as they can because, let's face it, guys, sin is fun. I mean, if sin were miserable, we wouldn't get sucked into it. And so they say, oh, I want to kind of hang on with both of them. And, you know, eventually when you have that kind of attitude, you end up crossing the line. And they do. And they quit bearing fruit. Or they have struggles and worries and, and they feel like, I've got a plan, I'm going to do this thing and, and, I'm, and, and, and they're, they're no longer praying and studying, they're no longer meeting with the saints, they're no longer hearing the Word of God. They start to fade wilt. That's going to happen. Why? I don't know, it's just the way it is. That's just what happens when you sow seed. The thorns are going to get some. No matter how much we work at trying to get rid of the thorns, we just need to understand we're not ever going to get rid of all of them, and the thorns are going to get some. But what does our sower do? Does our sower say, oh man, i got some over there on the path, and the birds are getting it, and I see some over there on the rocky soil, I know that's never going to last, and there's some over there among thorns, that's not ever going to work, I might as well even give up, that's, that's, that's 75% of my seed, it's not even doing any good. Did he give up? Did he quit sowing? No, he just kept on sowing. He just kept on sowing. His job wasn't to weed the garden. What was his job? His job was to sow the seed. We need to remember our job. What's our job? Sow the seed. That's our job. We spend our time trying to weed the garden. We're not sowing anymore. Let God weed the garden. Our job is to sow the seed. But here's what happens. In Luke chapter 8, our sower kept on sowing. And in verse 8, some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. If you keep on sowing, some will fall on good soil. But what would have happened if he had seen birds coming down? And said, I might as well give up. What would have happened if he saw the rocks over there and that soil and said, what's the point? What would have happened if he saw the thorns over here and said, I might as well not even bother? Then none of the seed would have found the good soil. But he kept on sowing. He was ambitious and he sowed everywhere. And some of it fell on good soil. And it produced fruit. Some bearing 30, some bearing 60, some bearing 100 fold, Matthew's version tells us. If we keep on sowing, it will land on good soil. That means that we're going to invite Bobby or Susie. We're going to invite Jimmy or Mary. And they're going to come. And they're going to hear. And they're going to be intrigued. And they're going to keep coming. And somebody's going to say, hey, would you like to get together for a study sometime? And they'll get together for a study. And they're going to hear. And they're going to listen. It's going to sink down into their hearts. And then they're going to obey. And then it's going to grow up. And it's going to bear fruit. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. And we'll see the joy as we watch someone come in and grow up. Because we were sowing the seed. And we didn't give up. But what would have happened if we looked at Bob and Jimmy and Mary and Susie and said, you know what? I think I see some thorns there. Or if we looked at them and said, I think I see some rocks there. Or that might be the hard ground and I see some birds circling overhead. What would have happened with them? 
How many of us would be here if somebody else had stopped sowing the seed because they saw some rocks or some thorns or some birds in our life? We've got to keep on sowing. If you keep on sowing, it'll find good ground. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 6. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 6 says, In the morning sow your seed, and that evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. You know, the fact is, when we sit there and try to figure out when is going to be the exact right time to sow the seed, we're whittling on God's end of the stick because we don't know when it's going to be. But we need to realize, if I just sow the seed, it'll find some good, honest soil somewhere. I, I may have to go through 99 seeds before I find that one that actually sprouts and grows up and bears fruit. But if I just keep on sowing, I'm going to find it somewhere. We've got to just keep on sowing. There's one more thing that I want to share with you. It's not specifically stated in Luke chapter 8, but I think it's something that, that we have to recognize. There's a whole lot of this growing seeds that this sower just couldn't be in control of. It's going to rain. How's the seed work? I don't know. But he just had to rely on God. Look again there in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 4. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. We spend all our time looking at the clouds, whether or not it's going to rain. Before we decide to start sowing, we just won't sow. Heard the story about two farmers. It had been a drought, and both of them were praying and praying and praying that God would send the rain. Got up off their knees, and one looked out his window, and the sky was cloudless, and the sun was hot and scorching. He got upset and went back to bed. The other one went out, got on his tractor, plowed his field, and sowed some seeds. Which one of those was really relying on God? Which one was preparing for the rain? We need to realize if we do God's work, we ask God to be involved, God will work. God will send the rain. We don't need to be watching the clouds. We don't need to look at the wind. Our job, we're not meteorologists. Our job is so the scene. Let's just prepare for God's reign. I think about Paul and Apollos in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I know that this verse kind of mixes the metaphor a little bit, changes the metaphor up that I've been using. I hope you'll forgive that because it still makes the point. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5, Paul said, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. 
So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Our job is not to grow the seed. Our job is to sow the seed. Let God do His job. Just pray for rain. Sow the seed and let God do His work with the seed. Let's get it out there. Guys, this is an exciting time for us. We've got 21 days to prepare for this. Out on the table. I've got almost 600 cards. Some of them messed up, so I had to throw those away. But almost 600 cards. And I want you to understand, this is not 600 cards for three weeks. This is not 200 cards per week. This is 600 cards for this week. I want to ask you to grab five cards and commit to inviting at least one person every day, Monday through Friday. If you miss one, you'll have Saturday. And next Sunday, we'll have more cards out there. If we run out today, I'll have some more on Wednesday night so you can get the rest of your five. How many can we invite? Can we sow the seed? Just keep sowing the seed. i got to tell you something. Last year at our vacation Bible school, I learned something from my daughter, Tessa. She told me, well, I invited someone, but they can't come. That's okay. You know, hey, it's good that you invited. She came back the next day. I invited so-and-so. They can't come. And you know what she did? She kept inviting until somebody came. And I must admit, if I just have to say this, because I am a little bit proud of it, and I probably shouldn't because somebody will be mad, but I just have to tell you, Tessa brought more visitors than anybody else on that vacation Bible school week. She had somebody with her every single night. I heard a lot of people say, yeah, I invited somebody. They couldn't come. And I appreciate you doing that. But I'm pretty proud of what I learned from my daughter. Instead of inviting somebody, if they say they can't come, saying, well, okay, keep sowing the seed. Invite somebody until they come. Invite others until somebody comes. Let God do His work. Let's make sure we're doing ours. 